Hey, hey, welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. For those who know the force, that is Claire, it probably will make sense to learn that she was born to parents that studied the French Revolution, among other things. (laughs) Let's listen to see how her life unfolded from France to Hong Kong to the U.S., You are not able to, <laughs> very similar to black people, you are not able to talk about yourself starting with you. You have to, you had to walk us through <laughs> yes. the history, which I'm black. So yes, that is, I completely understand that. And that's how it should be. So you started with uh, your, your grandparents and their story. Help me understand how that led to the beginning of your life, the direction of your life, how you grew up and your story. I was actually born in France. Hmm. I How did uh, that happen? My parents were studying there. Uh-huh. Um, they met at university in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and then they went uh, to France for their PhDs. Okay, hold on. Your dad's... Fa- we were talking before about your maternal grandparents. Mm-hmm. Your dad's parents, I presume, also fled the mainland for Hong Kong? Um, I don't have any stories of my paternal grandparents fleeing, so I think they were in Hong Kong for longer. Oh, okay. They may have immigrated, like... Early. Earlier. Um, I don't not, know the details okay um, but they but they met at uni in hong kong and then yeah and and I, I will also preface by saying that my dad also grew up in utter poverty himself like in he hong was kong in hong kong mm-hmm. um he was like hungry growing up and mm-hmm. never had enough to eat mm-hmm. um and he always reminded me of that mm-hmm. all the time but anyway so they they met at uni in hong kong they went to france and to paris um to get their phds um hmm. my dad uh, studying French philosophy mm. and my and mom French food I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> and my mom uh, the French Revolution oh um, okay yeah all right um and I was born in the middle of that well it took my dad 10 years to write his thesis um, when I was born they didn't have much money sure, um, they I believe brought, took me to daycare. There's government-run public daycare. Don't remind um, me. It makes me so angry when I look at what the fucking And it was French wonderful. Have. Like, all the women there were very professional, you know, knew what they were doing. That's would right. teach Croissant my mom every how Every day to... after, after nap time. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't remember. But I actually have some, like, distinct memories, like, really early childhood memories that nobody else could have told me because my parents weren't there, mm-hmm. um, of, of being in daycare. Mm-hmm. And when, because it's a government-run daycare system, um, the tuition is uh, sliding scale. Mm-hmm. And when I first went there, I think I was like two months old. Mm-hmm. Like, I was very young. My parents were at the lowest income level, so mm-hmm. it was free. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time I left, which was when I was three, because in French kindergarten starts, in France, kindergarten starts at three years old and mm. there are three years of kindergarten before you go into wow. first grade yeah mm. um by the time i left they were paying like the regular tuition which is like a very affordable yeah. you know um tuition um so i grew up in outside of paris until i was seven mm-hmm. and we lived in like a kind of working class neighborhood with a lot of immigrants like i remember my what kind of an immigrants um 
there were well i would just say that my school the Mm -hmm. friends in my school you know very very diverse um some asian immigrants uh some arabic immigrants like people who spoke arabic Mm -hmm. i don't know what country they were from (laughs) um you know some black families Mm -hmm. um but it it was like everybody had work it Mm -hmm. was a very like you know pretty safe environment for families to to raise kids but yeah very very diverse um and um we didn't have too much but i had i never felt like i well you know i I always had enough to eat i i love eating (laughs) (laughs) um so um I was always everybody else's favorite kid because I would eat all the other mom's food when they're cooking. <laughs> but I remember we didn't have a uh, VHS player mm-hmm. um, and everybody had a VHS player mm-hmm. at the time. It was like, you know, the 90s, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, my parents didn't. So that was like the one thing as a kid, my mom, I would be like, there's that. Can we get that? Mom was like, no, we can't play it. You mm-hmm. know, Um but otherwise, I, I lived like a pretty, I lived a very happy life, actually, when I was in France. I, I really loved school. Mm-hmm. Um, did you were, describe your describe your early childhood in France? Did you learn, did you speak French at, how, like, what, what languages did you learn how to speak first? Like, were you able to, like, play in the street with other kids? Were you, you know, was, I don't know, were you taken by the breezy nonchalance of... <laughs> the French life, like uh, describe that. I, I was a very happy child. Um, I spoke Cantonese at home with my parents, mm-hmm. um, and spoke French at school. But mm-hmm. I started going to daycare at, like two months or something. Sure. So, so I, you know, was exposed to both language pretty much um, immediately. Uh, immediately, um, I did not learn English until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know had a we had good relationships with our neighbors mm-hmm. i had a a best friend from kindergarten like the first year of kindergarten we met and then we've been like best friends um and so her parents became really good friends with my parents and we would go to on um, plates all the time mm-hmm. um and was she chinese or no she she was french. white french mm-hmm. um and uh her parents were very artistic uh, mm. i think her mom is like a, a, a film editor mm-hmm. um, and uh, her dad was a musician. Um, mm. And so uh, artsy. Uh, yeah. Artsy parents. And we got along really well and, mm. um, and our parents got along really well. So mm-hmm. we, we hung out a lot and we also, you know, we, I didn't, we didn't have much materially. Like I didn't have that many toys or mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. Uh, or any things like that. So I spent a lot of my time like, drawing on the back of my parents dissertation drafts whoa you know because they had like a ton of <laughs> yeah, yeah. drafts you know a lot of paper mm-hmm. and you know, so i would have my markers and i would t- spend a ton of time drawing which explains why i think i'm now You're an, an artist. artist yeah that's right. um because i didn't really I, I had to use a lot of creative creativity mm-hmm. and then my friend doria is her name mm-hmm. um she also did you know 
her family was not materialistic. So mm-hmm. when we played, we did a lot of role playing and making up our own stories, sure. and we'd read. Did you have comic a, books? Were the do you think the other children around you, looking back, were materialistic? Like, I have, I have Barbies, I have la 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 da da, or were or were like, was that just not the kind of milieu you grew up in? I think not really. Like, I think some of the my friends had more toys mm-hmm. but in general it was like a lot less materialistic than than sure. the u.s mm-hmm. um i remember there was a a black friend chloe chloe <laughs> who lived like chloe. a few floors down from the building that apartment complex i was living in mm-hmm. like i'd go down to her birthday and 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 she would have more toys mm-hmm. um but still it was like it was definitely not nearly as materialistic as when I later moved to Hong Kong, mm. um, and I can get into that sure, sure, later. Sure. Um, it was you were. It was just you born in France, or was your? Yeah. I think you have a sibling. Were they born? In it was France just well? me. Okay. Um, so I, I grew up mostly as a single child because oh. my sister wasn't born until I was eleven. Oh wow! Um, so so I, I basically yeah grew up as a single child, and I had also good relations with my next door neighbors because they they would c- come pick me up from school a lot when oh. my parents. We're you know, busy, had, were busy mm-hmm. um, had work and stuff. Um, so would you describe your community as like, would you describe the community you grew up in in France as like warm, loving and communal? Yes. Oh, okay. um, and, uh, and my, so my dad, uh, the last two years we were in Paris or outside of Paris, outside of Paris um, my dad had a far, hard time finding a job, a mm. stable job. He was working for, as a freelance journalist for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ended up going to London mm-hmm. to work at the BBC. Mm. Um, and that was kind of hard because, you know, for two years, basically, it was just like me and my mom. Yeah. Um, but my mom uh, would get... Uh, these museum passes mm-hmm. uh, in in Paris, and so I spent like a lot of weekends in mm-hmm. the museums, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just go to the Egyptian section of the Louvre and yeah. just draw from like all of the nice. statues and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, because of that, um, my family ended up deciding to move back to Hong Kong cause because of your dad's inability or difficulty in finding consistent work. Yeah. And, and having to do long distance, it was mm-hmm. just like not working very well. Sure. So they, they ended up. And also I, th- my grandfather passed away. Like my father's father, mm-hmm. I think passed away when we were in France. Mm-hmm. And that also was another prompt for him to like, feel like, okay, time they want time to go back to Hong Kong. Gotcha. Um, were you sad to leave France? I was very sad to leave France. Mm. And school in Hong Kong sucked in comparison. What do you so, mean? So in France is very much like learning is fun. School mm. is, at least for me, school was fun. Mm-hmm. Like teachers were nice. They they learn, they make learning an interesting interactive activity. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong is very much like. Dictatorial. Yeah, it, well, it's it's like cram as much information mm. there, you memorize a lot of stuff, a ton of homework. Mm-hmm. I had exams four times a year Ooh. as a first grader. No, yes. So like, it's so stressful. Mm. I my my vision is horrible now. Like the first few years when I was in Hong Kong, my prescription would go get worse by 
one unit every six months. Oh no! So I needed new glasses every six months because you were your eyes were straining so yeah. much studying. I was like really stressed, and oh, it was no. just like you know doing homework until like ten p.m. Oh my as god! As like a seven or eight year old, oh, you know. Yikes! Um, so I I hated it. Mm. Um, you know, I, I guess I still dealt with it, and mm. and there was a lot of family in Hong Kong, yeah. so um, it was you know just different environment into onto the materialism um i remember distinctly my cousin would come over on the weekends on my dad's side Mm -hmm. Uh, so they actually both of them came from families of six siblings Mm -hmm. or six surviving siblings Mm -hmm. um so i have a ton of extended family a ton of cousins my cousin would come over and he'd be like what you don't have new toys since last week and i'm like since last week yeah i know i'm like why would i get have new toys since last week and he's like i get a new toy every week Mm. and it was just like it is funny because i remember even at that point instead of feeling jealous Mm -hmm. i was thinking to myself you spoiled brad (laughs) (laughs) he'll be coming over here talking to me crazy and new toys since last week. hell no i get new toys at christmas and uh beginning of the school year shut the fuck up exactly so (laughs) yeah so it was a very different mentality oh and i grew up without a tv even um, when you went back to Hong Kong? Actually, we did have a TV when we were in France. It's a very small one that my parents would put the news on, so mm-hmm. I was not interested in watching it ever. Yeah. They, actually, we only watched one program called Talaza, which is like a, a ocean, mm-hmm. like a kind of sea world, like under the sea N- sort of mm-hmm. program. Nature program. Nature, nature program. That was the only pro- program I watched on TV. Um, and then they just had news. And for them, it, it helped them like at the beginning to learn French yeah. and all that. Um, but then when we moved back to Hong Kong, we didn't have a TV. Mm-hmm. So I just, I learned to play piano. Mm-hmm. I drew and painted and, you know, played. Delved into your art when you weren't being ambushed, not ambushed, yeah. but yeah. onslaught of homework. And I'm wildly gesticulating. <laughs> right now i I wonder whether it's because i like experienced the two very different school systems Mm -hmm. when i was flipping through like my i have this like book of records from my uh all my school years that where i can keep like certificates and all that Mm -hmm. in there for first grade i wrote down what do you want want to be when you grow up in first grade i said i wanted to be an artist and a teacher oh and you did it and i did it and mm-hmm. for a while like i was i was teaching but i remember because i for still for a while before my sister was born i was like a single child mm-hmm. i'd say i didn't have as much of a regular community my my parents would work a lot later mm-hmm. uh, after we moved back to Hong Kong. And so I was like kind of had to entertain myself. And like a latchkey kid? I basically uh, entertained myself by like playing teacher sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like create homework, <laughs> do it myself, <laughs> and correct it myself. <laughs> that is a consummate Claire. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but... And then after my, although after my sister was born, like everything kind of changed and mm. I became like a little mom mm-hmm. and I I had a fantastic time being a little mom. <laughs> um, to your I, sister. Yeah. I mm. loved like taking care of her and playing with her and yeah. Mm. Well, how would you describe now as an adult, how would you describe your family's 
class standing when you were in France versus when you were in Hong Kong? Like, how would you describe each of those? Yeah, I mean, when we were in France, we were definitely, like, working class, but, like, you know, very stable Mm -hmm. working class. Like, I wasn't worried about, you know, food Mm -hmm. or housing. housing. Um, In Hong Kong, we were more middle class, uh, especially Mm. as my sister grew older like my parents ended up getting um tenure positions and so your parents were professors when they moved back to hong kong yeah they they uh they had like some temporary positions um my mom worked on a book for public housing Hmm. in hong kong which i lost a copy of in the mail and i'm really upset (laughs) i need to find a copy but uh you know eventually they you know they became professors Mm -hmm. uh and you know, eventually, by the time I was, like, in high school, I think, mm-hmm. middle or high school, like, they got tenure. And so then, you know, we were very much, like, comfortable middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were always, oh, I should, like, I need to backtrack. Um, they were always politically very astute. Mm-hmm. And Tell me what you mean I by actually that. went to my first protest uh-huh. when I bef- right before I turned one hmm. um, during the Tiananmen Square massacre huh. in Paris. Basically, uh, my parents um, were active in like a community of Hong Kong. You know, there was a community of Hong Kongers in Paris, mm-hmm. and um, they organized like marches in support of the students that were uh on a hunger strike mm-hmm. in Tiananmen Square mm-hmm. um and then of course you know the tanks rolled in and all of that mm-hmm. um but so so I I don't actually remember any of it but my mm-hmm. my dad keeps telling me like you participated in your first <laughs> protest on, in a stroller hmm. um and so after we got back to Hong Kong, like we would go to yearly protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, we In would, commemoration of Tiananmen Yeah, we Square. would, every year on June 4th, we would go to, uh, to the vigils um, at uh, Victoria Park in Hong Kong to commemorate mm-hmm. the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Um, and then uh, on July 1st, I think that was like, I think... I can't remember what when was the first year we went, but definitely um, in 2003 when they were trying to establish the first uh, national security legislation. Um, we participated in that. July 1st is the day of the handover. It's like mm-hmm. the Hong Kong's SAR, a Special Administrative Region Establishment Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we go on these big marches and every year like these would be things like july june 4th and july 1st like or just in the calendar we Mm -hmm. go march yeah and because my parents came from a more working class background my dad especially my mom by the time she was in high school uh my grandma's business was you know doing Doing well well and Mm -hmm. so they they were able to buy a tv like by the time she was in high school so that was a big deal at that time but my dad grew up like really poor Mm -hmm. um and so uh my dad would keep reminding me that like how he grew up Mm -hmm. so i i was very conscious of how lucky i was Mm. um and how how did in what way did you now as an adult in what ways do you think you felt lucky as a child because of those stories that your dad told i mean i've 
felt grateful that I could eat what I wanted to eat, mm. you know, um, that I lived a rather comfortable life, mm -hmm. you know. You even, didn't have to work in order to help the family survive. Exactly. Was that a part of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents were always very willing to spend money on education. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, that's probably the thing that they spent most money on mm -hmm. on me and my sister is like education my parents also let me have piano lessons because mm. i said i wanted to, to learn piano and thinking back i was like wow that must have been like a big purchase for them for them to buy a piano yeah like pianos are expensive yeah they, they are certainly <laughs> not uh -huh. so they were like willing to invest in that mm -hmm. um so yeah i'd say like i i grew up being you know, comfortable and aware that I was like lucky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you? How would you? How would you describe your your parents' politics um, while you were growing up? Like uh, using contemporary language. I'd say my dad was always a little more radical, but um, they're definitely very progressive i don't know if they would it's hard to call yourself a leftist in hong kong because if you call yourself a leftist then it's like pro pro mainland china. mainland china yeah. so but my dad's professor in uh paris like for his uh phd he and his his wife were part of the communist party in in France and they huh. were actually involved like in the underground resistance ah. against the nazis and helping to like oh, uh, wow. protect jews oh, wow. um i think that they're you know that definitely progressive leaning in terms of their ideals social economic ideolo okay. ideology mm -hmm. politically gets more complicated sure. in in the context of hong kong got you so but let's just so that the mostly american listeners except for simon hi simon uh would understand their politics if you were if you were able to transpose your parents onto the american political landscape like how would they be understood i mean or, when, or put them into yeah the actually maybe to contextualize like since Bernie since 2015 like mm -hmm. I obviously got super involved in Bernie mm -hmm. my dad was like of course you know mm -hmm. like that makes total logical sense mm -hmm. my mom was hesitant mm -hmm. in, in 2015 2016 because mm -hmm. she doesn't really follow American politics closely mm -hmm. like because they don't live here they don't live here okay. we'll get to that point yeah uh -huh. um and she sees Hillary Clinton on the news all the time because oh. she was secretary of state yeah. and like when you're international you know when yeah, you're yeah. in another country the secretary of state is always on tv yeah you know um but by 2020 or 2019 they were both like my mom actually encouraged me to work on the bernie campaign right on okay um, well we can we'll, <laughs> we'll get, get, into, get into that later okay i guess talk to me about your teen years since we're we're up to that point like what is life like for you was did you like you know sneak and and dye your hair blonde no just to i rib your parents my mom <laughs> said that like i never was a teenager i think i went from like childhood mm -hmm. and then my sister was born and i became an adult <laughs> <laughs> oh um God. so i 
Yeah, I was like basically being a little mom. Mm-hmm. I did start getting politically conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember 9-11 and then hmm. uh, the war in Afghanistan and when Bush was talking about starting the war in Iraq. How old were you around this time? 14, mm-hmm. 15-ish. Around 9-11 or? Uh, um, the Iraq war. Okay. When mm-hmm. the Iraq war was popping off. Uh, and I actually started talking to my classmates and I was like, let's write a letter mm-hmm. from our class to President George W. Bush and God. tell him nothing could go, go to war with Iraq. <laughs> how did you understand how did you understand that time as a as a teenager in Hong Kong? Like how did you understand those events, that time, like try and remember back and think of like how you thought about it, what your reactions were to this, like take I me mean, to that time. 9-11 was horrifying. Like, I remember, so we didn't have a TV at our apartment, but mm-hmm. we lived close to my uncle in the same building mm-hmm. as my uncle, mm-hmm. who was, like, the floor above. Um, and basically, my, I think my aunt called us, so like, come up here now. Whoa. Like, you know, a plane just drove into the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. So we, we, like, went up and watched the TV. Um, and, I don't know, like, we're shocked. Sure. Um, but then I just remember, like, you know, seeing, like, images of, like, the war in Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, on, in the newspapers and, like, the horrors of it. And I also started being kind of environmentally conscious mm-hmm. um, and just felt like war was a horrible thing. And mm-hmm. why are we going to war mm-hmm. um when you say we what did you or mean? i guess the u.s mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. i mean i don't think i really had much of like a, a, a conscious relationship of like what is the relationship between hong kong and the u.s mm-hmm. but i i guess i always seen myself more of a, a like a global citizen mm-hmm. um and so i didn't feel I felt like I had a responsibility to the world, mm. you know? Um, and I think I still feel that in some ways, mm-hmm. um, which is why I do the work that I do, even though I'm not a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I didn't know you weren't a citizen. I'm not. But I guess that makes sense here. I mean, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, I was just like, we shouldn't go to war. And uh-huh. so I worked with my classmates to write a letter and then more and more of my classmates wanted to get in on the letter Mm -hmm. and so it kind of became a piecemeal really poorly written letter that was sent (laughs) to the white house we never got a response but it's okay sure 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 Um, but you felt compelled to you you felt prompted to action that even though you know i'm a teenager in hong kong and i'm you know an ocean away like this doesn't seem good like what you know 9-11 was seemed scary even though I'm not in America, that just seems scary. And then the resulting aggressions after that, um, that's, that seems like something we shouldn't, we shouldn't yeah, be doing. I just remember seeing like images in newspapers of like, you know, Afghan women and children yeah. like in rubble. Yeah, you that's know? right. Being and slaughtered. It was just like heart wrenching. Of course. Um, 
And then I, I was like also getting more environmentally conscious at the time. Like the air pollution in Hong Kong started getting really bad because mm-hmm. of the industry in mm-hmm. in um, in Guangzhou, like mm-hmm. in, in Guangdong, like uh, in China, mm-hmm. really building up. And so a lot of pollution blowing down into Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the area. So I lived in uh, on top of a hill. Mm-hmm. It's funny because it's like in a way... Uh, pretty luxurious because most people in hong kong are in these giant like 40 story buildings Mm -hmm. and we actually lived in like a six story building Mm -hmm. on top of a hill um it was nice because it was next to a funeral parlor and there was (laughs) a um crematorium nearby (laughs) as well and Mm -hmm. hong kong people were very superstitious yeah so it was deemed as like not a very good place to uh, live good place to live mm-hmm. um so we we lived there and i would like walk down the hill to the bus stop mm-hmm. uh and to go to school mm-hmm. and for a while it was like this beautiful like hillside with greenery and i would wait you know next to this little woods you know for the bus um but then by the time i don't even remember when i think it was like late middle school um or early high school they just started completely just removing the entire forest Mm. Um, and they later on built a highway Mm. uh, but i got to enjoy the time when it just became a giant construction zone sure like waiting for the bus there instead of next to like lovely wooded area Mm. um and so I, i started also like becoming more environmental environmentally conscious at that time Mm -hmm. and so i started doing like artwork that was like Mm. anti-war i I, like i remember distinctly that was it's either late middle school or early high school um when i i took this like chinese new year treats box that Mm -hmm. had like two layers Mm -hmm. and i kind of had one side it like opened up into like a left and right top box had one side representing like war and destruction (laughs) and then the other side was like you know a nest and like nature and life Mm -hmm. and like linking the two together the bottom was like through art you Mm, know deep (laughs) that's deep (laughs) so yeah so and then i did paintings about like I did a painting called A Sunny Day in Hong Kong where it's like all gray because mm. of air pollution. Oh. You know? <laughs> um, did you have an understanding of politics outside of being horrified at the war and your burgeoning, you know, environmentalism? Like what was, did you have a politics in addition to that or outside of that? Um, I mean, and, and the awareness of like Hong Kong politics. Um, but I would say I didn't really have a politics regarding u.s politics sure um and i didn't really have that much of a class analysis um at Gl- the time really even though there's such di- again from what i understand which may not be accurate since you grew up there but you didn't have a you didn't have a sense or a an opinion on the uh stark divide between like the haves and the have-nots in hong kong which i mean i it's pretty stark i think i was aware Mm -hmm. and i was aware that there were people who lived in really poor conditions in hong kong Mm -hmm. um 
and that you know i was really lucky Mm -hmm. um so it gets a little complex because i i also you know i was aware and i'm trying to figure out like when things happened in my consciousness but like I was like aware, for example, that you know mainland Chinese people would come down to Hong Kong yeah. and buy apartments in cash. Yeah, and so housing was really difficult yeah. for Hong Kong people. Yeah. I think by late high school, like I was aware of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I I really analyzed it in a very conscious sure you know capital this is because of capitalism like i I don't think i had that analysis but Mm -hmm. i was definitely aware of um you know inequalities and how it affected people's lives did you did you were you did you have a uh, a perspective or a context or a consciousness or a language around like this the the migrant labor the sheer amount of migrant labor that um, is uh, like that kind of makes a lot of Hong Kong work. Well, definitely. Um, so, for those who don't know, mm-hmm. like in Hong Kong, um, Hong Kong is a weird place. <laughs> work comes first, so people work like crazy. Mm-hmm. They don't spend time with their families, mm-hmm. and then there's a really large labor force of. Um, Migrant workers from Southeast Asia, Mm -hmm. like in the Philippines, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, Mm -hmm. women who come to Hong Kong and work as basically domestic maids, like live in maids. Um, Actually, my family had one, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's very common for for uh, families in in Hong Kong to have at least one. Mm -hmm. The really rich people have multiple. Mm -hmm. Um, And. because otherwise, there, there's no public uh, child care mm-hmm. system. So, you know, what are you going to do? Like, mm-hmm. you're going to... And the workplace doesn't account for your time with your family. Mm-hmm. So you're working, you know, 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need somebody to take care of the, the kids, the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and these migrant workers are uh, being paid very low wages. Mm-hmm. Um there are like basically minimum wage ordinances around it, but and, and these migrant workers are, are live in with their employers, so they the employer is supposed to provide all of their daily necessities except for Sundays when they get the day off. Um, wow, so just one day a week. Yes, oh, wow. uh, one day a week off. Um, and so theoretically, their wages only you know, they only need to spend their own money on Sundays. Uh-huh. Uh, everything, you know, else should be covered. Uh, and many of them send money back to their yep. to their families. Yep. It's actually like every helper that we've had um, is always the, the oldest of the siblings. Mm-hmm. And she's like just, you know, sending money back for the rest of the fa- family. Um, and, uh, you know, my family has always treated our helper really well, but a That's lot- what you all refer to them as, helpers? Yeah. Mm, okay. Domestic helper. Sure, sure, sure. Um sometimes yeah, people say maids. Mm-hmm. Um uh a l- there are families that treat them horribly sure. and treat them as like servants. Yeah. Um and uh you know, there've been a lot of incidences of uh assaults yeah. um uh on helpers. But anyway, I was definitely like a very aware of sure. of that okay. um that that class and race 
distinction distinction Mm -hmm. yeah interesting um so did you when it was time did uh before we get to college what did you did did your parents have a a goal for you in terms of your life like what was your did you have an understanding of your parents dream for you growing up well they were unlike uh, the traditional Asian parents because mm-hmm. they went to France yeah. and studied philosophy and history <laughs> <laughs> that are not subjects of that make you money, you yeah, know, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so they they were always like, do what you want. Oh wow, um, you got that freedom. Yeah, and yeah. and that's also why they were very encouraging of the arts. You mm-hmm. know, they let me, you know, learn Dry piano. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I actually started taking painting lessons when I was 12 Hmm. um and so they were like very encouraging Mm -hmm. um so when I was applying for college actually I kind of it was I I never visited any schools Hmm. you know because I was in Hong Kong and uh I applied to schools in the UK and the US I applied to a bunch of liberal arts colleges not really knowing (laughs) what I was doing Mm. um and my mom, so my mom actually, uh, she runs a general education program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's really into like developing the the whole human, you mm-hmm. know, um, and that educational philosophy. And mm-hmm. so I applied to Hampshire College, Smith College, and a bunch of other places. I applied to Yale too. I didn't get in mm-hmm. because I asked my interviewer what he, she thought of George Bush. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know that that's the reason why I didn't get in, no, but I probably did do that. And then I saw her the expression on her face and she was like, you know, with Yale, like unlike Brown, my friends at Brown who are all like liberals, mm-hmm. like Yale, it's like a very politically diverse oh, place. fuck you know? off. <laughs> so anyway, I had no idea at that time, like the U.S., politics yeah sure you know I mean, how are you supposed to know I, why and why wouldn't that be a salient question to ask when you know where the whole not the whole world but a lot of the world is involved in this fucking massacre of the middle east yeah like, i just knew that george bush went to yale so i wanted right. to ask what yale felt about george right. bush um but she didn't like that question no but she anyway. did not appreciate that <laughs> but anyway like hampshire college is this like small progressive leftist experimental Mm -hmm. liberal arts college where is Um, that it's in western massachusetts okay um and it's actually part of the five college consortium with smith college um uh and umass amherst uh amherst college mount holyoke so it's not a seven sisters no, it's a, like five colleges. Uh, so the Seven Sisters is all women's colleges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five colleges consortium is like a Massachusetts thing. Yeah, geographically all in the same I got you. Uh, area, uh-huh. and they're like free buses that run between oh, the schools, gotcha. and you, you get into one, you can take classes in the other ones. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. where. That's how I met my husband, or he was hanging out in my school mm-hmm. in Hampshire. But anyway, <laughs> Hampshire is this like really experimental education kind of place. And mm-hmm. my mom, and I got a scholarship from them, and my mom was like, wow, you applied to this gem without knowing it. Because I was like, I saw that they had a huge amount of students involved in the visual and performing arts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. I yeah. forget now. It's like... 56% of students in visual or performing arts or something and most schools like 7 or 8%, mm, you know. Mm. Um so I ended up going there. Okay. I loved it. 
Um, it was so you got a full ride as an international student, not a full ride. It was like it was a partial scholarship. Okay, yeah. So in and your parents were able to handle the rest of the cost, yes. or you had to yeah. take out they, loans. They they saved up like. As soon as they were able to start saving money, they started saving money for mm-hmm. for college mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. my schooling, my and my sister's schooling. Mm-hmm. That was like number one priority for them. Mm. And what was what was the experience like going from living in Hong Kong to living in Western Mass with all of these, you know, weird? It freaks? was a huge shock. Sure. Um, Tell me about. Describe how. Like, what are some of the funny stories or interesting well, stories you remember? I was cautious so i brought a sleeping bag with me what the fuck did you bring a sleeping bag for claire because i didn't know what was expected and for you two we weeks had beds in america well i didn't have sheets when i got there and there were no sheets at the school <laughs> and the nearest mall uh-huh. was not walkable sure, you had to sure. drive and no one had cars <laughs> i didn't have a car uh-huh. and so for two weeks i had no sheets and no pillow <laughs> um and i was so happy that i brought a sleeping uh-huh. bag with me <laughs> Because I oh had to sleep God. in my sleeping bag <laughs> on the mattress. Sure. But, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. Sure. And they didn't make it clear. Like, I think in the U.S., people know that you have to bring sheets yeah. and a pillow. But I didn't know that, you know. <laughs> Did your parents come with you to move you in? My dad came with me. Oh, okay. But he he didn't couldn't know. drive. Uh, he sure, doesn't, sure. you know, like, sure. in, so I, uh, you know, grew up in, in Paris and Hong Kong. Like, no one drives. Mm-hmm. My parents don't know how to drive, you yeah. know. And it's public transit. Yeah, yeah public yeah. transit is amazing mm-hmm. in Hong Kong and in Paris. Mm-hmm. It's like actually reliable. The train comes every two minutes, <laughs> you know, like there was that. <laughs> and then there was um, going from Hong Kong, which is socially pretty conservative place. Mm-hmm to like the hippie school you know you gonna have to park right there for a second because i know some wild stories you, you can pick what but i'm going to press it till we get to a good hit like did you wake up one well, morning and it was like a nude breakfast on the quad like what were we what were, well the, the, the like more kind of I, I know it's nothing to like a lot of other people but like imagine girl that has never talked about sex you know her entire sure, sure. life up until that point that's right orientation <laughs> go ahead go ahead this is about to get you know good. Uh-huh. they're like playing never had i ever mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like i have never ever never <laughs> <Exactly. of it." laughs> so like about like i don't know like an hour into the game all my uh fingers were still up because <laughs> it all just everybody <laughs> described like have you done it with a teacher before? <laughs> Have you done it in like a public bathroom? Like all these things, and I was just like in shock. Wait, wait. So you, so you didn't date as a as a mini adult, not teenager, teenager in Hong Kong. I did not. Okay. okay. I was n- I was just not really interested in sure, any sure, of sure, the sure. guys at my school. Sure. Like I Maybe had they friends. Um, you know, I I had friends. I would hang out with some uh-huh. of them, but like I was not interested. You weren't in like making guys. You weren't making eyes at the fellas. You weren't trying to like. I mean, I like had a couple crushes at certain sure, points, sure. but I. But very innocent, like. Yeah, and I I knew. Crush, crush. Uh-huh logically that they weren't the right fit sure i just like oh he looks attractive yeah, I like but like face. but i d- i d- we're not gonna be a good fit so mm-hmm. i so i never actually dated anyone okay. but you yeah. get but you get to hippieville 
and your hands still up. I ain't never yeah. done it with a teacher. I ain't never done yeah. it in the bathroom, and in I'm the like, park, in the and dark. And I'm like, I don't even know all of you. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> met all of you, you know? <laughs> and then so the worst part was like halfway through, somebody says, well, Claire, you're doing really well here. And I was just like... Okay, I've break, never man. had a boyfriend, right, like right. you know. And they're like, there are girls saying, "Oh, like what? He wasn't my teacher, but he was cute." Absolutely you know? not. <laughs> Slow down, Miss Thing. Okay. So you know, I was that. That was a huge shock. That was sure. a huge shock. How? But how on that tip? Because <laughs> this is always interesting. I mean, you don't have to answer if you don't say. But how long did it take for you to get comfortable with the with the like relative like? liberal sexual environment at college versus like what you'd come from or like did it take a long time or was it like by christmas it was like well, yeah girl all my fingers down then I, I started dating. Dating. i actually okay. met my current husband first weekend of college <laughs> she's like it's me and you i gotta work on this game let's go <laughs> I, I wasn't i wasn't like you know in any rush but like sure. he spotted me mm-hmm. at a at a house party or mm-hmm. dorm party mm-hmm. um sat next to me we talked about hong kong china politics mm. the entire first evening mm. with, uh, you know and then two weeks later he was like on campus again and i decided we had to talk i had to ask him about george bush and where he stood on that's with george exactly bush. right sir um and we were like we we were we loved talking like we would just talk for hours mm-hmm. and so then the rest of history i guess <laughs> So he's the only so he's the only person you like dated since yes. being here. Yes. Oh, okay. Listen, if it works, it works. And Listen, I mean, I, I guess I was still like not I still didn't engage in talking about my own sex life. I was Publicly. also part part of an a cappella group and sure. there were a few people there who loved talking about okay, the application <laughs> to the a cappella group <laughs> is if you were an animal i don't remember the phrasing but basically like if you had to have sex as an animal i don't have time what animal would it be why why is that relevant to the acapella group it it wasn't a question it was a question there so anyway i I felt very uncomfortable with that yeah but so there were some members there that love talking about it would be like i just go late last night and i'm like Zip, right? I'm I mean, not y'all, talk I, y'all ain't got my... to know all my business, yeah. And I don't need to know yours. We're here to sing, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to know about your lusty, your lusty lyrical life, yeah. Ew, yeah. Okay, so, I so <laughs> I mean, I still like I, I can I, I got used to hearing about sure. it. I just didn't really. You like, didn't participate. participate in it. Yeah, right. My business yeah. is my business. Yes. Thank you. We can talk about George W. Bush. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> your college experience in the u.s how did that like continue to develop mold shape uh your your outlook politically or your political understanding or your politic or however you want to answer that question um so hampshire is definitely a very left place left Uh, or liberal left okay Mm -hmm. james baldwin taught at hampshire and like we were, yeah, like I definitely remember taking my classes in uh, the first year of my, you know, college and just talking about like the U.S. Um, interventions and, and 
Central and South America mm. and all that. So it, it's it's left. It's a critical of yeah. of U.S. imperialism, imperialism, everything like that. But it, it was kind of a crash course for me because like I knew nothing hmm. about like Latin American history hmm. um, when I came here. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I knew. V- like we we talked about like the Cuban Missile Crisis, sure. you know, like uh, in, in high school. But like I I knew nothing about like the U.S. interventions and, and coups. the rest yeah. of yeah mm-hmm. uh, coups in the rest of the Americas until I went to college. Mm. Um, but I guess a lot of Americans don't. Yep, do ding 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 <laughs> that, that part. Um, uh-huh. But uh, yeah. I'd say, though, that I still didn't really develop an acute understanding of American politics uh, in terms of, like, Republican Party. I knew the Republican Party was worse than the Democratic Party. Because you knew George W. Yeah. Bush was a Republican. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, my husband was a Ralph Nader supporter. Mm. We actually went to see Ralph Nader mm. um, in 2008. Was that 2008? 2000. Yeah, it must have been 2008 mm-hmm. um, when he was running mm-hmm. um, for president. Um, I was, I think I was like just taking everything in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that I liked hearing Obama talk. Mm-hmm. Like he was in- impressive. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really have strong opinions about that election hmm. at all. Really? I was like in a bubble and like trying to absorb things um was your bubble and we're talking 2008 was your bubble critical of obama or just completely focused on something not the hype of the 2008 well, election that's an airplane I will, I will say um actually so i went to study abroad back in france uh during the 2008 general mm, election mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I would say I was like not even really plugged into what oh, was going on okay. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. that much until Obama got elected. And I remember distinctly the day after getting out of the subway mm-hmm. and this African dude just screaming, running down like the escalator, <laughs> screaming, Obama! Uh-huh, uh-huh. And like there was just all of a sudden like it was, it. I remember like the person who was running the program saying all of a sudden it went to being uh, him being ashamed of being an american to thinking feeling like it was cool to be an american wait the wait, wait who was the ashamed? person who was running our study abroad oh, oh program, okay gotcha, gotcha, you know gotcha, gotcha. like being somebody living in europe oh like, i see previously they were ashamed of being yep. an american yep. and then when obama got elected you know it, it switched for him yeah okay okay um and then i would say that like for the remainder of my college years, mm-hmm. I did not follow American politics very closely. Mm. Okay. Um, I think that after I graduated, I started paying more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stayed for a year mm-hmm. um, because my visa allowed for one more year. Mm-hmm. Um, you stayed for another year and still went to school or you just hung out around just campus? Hung out, uh, not around campus, but nearby. Oh, okay. Like I, I, I lived in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which is uh, where Smith College is. So yep. It's kind of like a lesbian town. It's like really, it's a <laughs> and really by this nice time you okay with it because you didn't you didn't been through it with it's acapella. It's so group. <laughs> nice. It's like San Francisco, but like less Bernal pretentious. Okay. Like and and like a small town. You okay. know, like um, Lizzie Northeastern. Yeah, 
southeastern town. Yeah, it was like <laughs> really nice. Um, but anyway, I was like, I started to like watch Democracy Now. Uh, um, uh-huh. and I, that's when actually when I 2010 was when I first heard about Bernie when he mm-hmm. did his like eight hour filibuster, mm-hmm. um, on the Senate floor to speak against the Bush era tax cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's when I heard about bernie and mm. i was like oh this is a cool guy yeah, like right that's awesome mm-hmm. um and i think at that point i was like yeah i, w- I was aware that he voted against the iraq war mm-hmm. um which we've all fucking that's not even a, a litmus test in 2020 which drove me crazy it's like oh we've completely forgotten forgotten about that okay cool i knew that you know the u.s loved going to war i mm-hmm. was against that mm-hmm. um I knew that, you know, it interfered, like to interfere with other governments. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know. I guess I didn't really know the extent of how bad the Democratic Party was. Mm-hmm. Uh, because your dis- your initial understanding was like Republicans real bad George W. Bush, but you hadn't you hadn't yet developed a uh, thoughtful or or uh, deep critique uh, yeah. of the democratic and party I, I guess also i just didn't follow it closely enough mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i knew bernie was cool and i i think i remember barbara lee being the only one who voted against um the afghanistan war yeah. you know mm-hmm. in congress yeah. um but i i guess i didn't know enough mm-hmm. about like the democratic party sure. who was involved mm-hmm. like you know um i mean i i think by later on, like I definitely heard about Obama's immigration policies, um, mm-hmm. but I, I would say at that point, 2010, I knew that the U.S. government was not great. Yeah, you know? yeah that's putting it very. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I just I think I just didn't know enough about like the gotcha. Democratic Party, how things work, sure. blah, blah, until 2015. Gotcha. So, uh, so a year. What year did you graduate college? Uh, it was 2010. 2010, you graduate college. You spend an extra year in lesbian town, USA, where Smith College is in Massachusetts. <laughs> and then, like, what were you doing with yourself during that time? Were you working? Were you... I was uh, teaching at a high school, a, a Waldorf school. So, oh, a fancy uh, school. Yeah. It was, uh-huh. uh, uh, and I was teaching art classes there mm. um, two days a week. Mm-hmm. And then I was working in an art supply store. Oh, right on. Um, it was, I loved that year. Mm. It was so great. Cause I was like basically working three days a week, I mm. think at mm. the art supply store through, I think so mm-hmm. three or four days a week at the art supply store. And then two days a week teaching uh, art, but then it's like basically half days. Cause I'm, I'm only teaching like one course. Mm-hmm. So I still had time to work on my own art. Mm-hmm. Rent was dirt cheap. We really? were probably in in thinking back like a illegally dangerous apartment that mm. was not up to code. We oh. were like living in the attic, and there was definitely no fire exit. Oh. If there was a fire, we would have been dead. Okay, um, Ooh, but okay. our rent was three hundred dollars a month, wow. and that was split between me and my then boyfriend, now husband. Wow. So even though I wasn't making a lot of money, and you were living in a death trap, yeah, I was really happy right. i mean i had housemates and there you know certain points housemate issues sure. but like but it, was, it wasn't super tight like you could make your rent you could yep. buy your food you could 
either pay for a car or a bus to get around. You were able to pay for art supplies. You had time to do your art. Like things were good. You didn't. Yeah, you didn't we, want I, for I anything. biked around and there were buses. Yeah, okay. so um, it was fine. It was like, just like I a was, cool, chill year. Yeah, exactly. Nice. It was, it was great. Hmm. Um. Was your was your then, your then boyfriend now husband? Was he? He was still in finishing. School? Yeah, okay. he was finishing. He was like double major, try to take on too much, ah. um, and he ha- was doing lab work. Oh, okay. um, so his year was maybe not as good as mine. Sure, um, but uh, but you was chilling. But yeah, we were we both enjoyed really like living in Northampton. And okay. Just, yeah. All right. Yeah. And so, where did you? What did you end up doing after that? Like, how did you go from th- how did you go from a three hundred dollar death trap to living in a, you know, probably yeah. three thousand dollar a month mm-hmm. not death trap death trap in San Francisco? Like, what was your how did you make your way out here, or what were you doing in between? So then and here? yeah, I actually went back to Hong Kong because uh, my visa was expiring. Ah. I was like, I can't stay in the U.S. Uh-huh. You know. Um, in order to get a work visa, your employer has to prove that they can't hire somebody local to do that work. And yeah. I was just teaching. You yeah. know, they weren't going to do, do that. that yeah. uh, and working at a port supply store. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back. Uh, I was there for maybe about a little over six months when my boyfriend joined me there. In Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Oh, that's um, so sweet. <clears throat> yeah. He ended up going back and forth because his mother was ill at s- a certain point and then his job wanted him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, he was going to take a job in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. but um, the salaries are so low in Hong Kong. Hmm. Taxes are a lot lower, mm-hmm. but salaries are also a lot lower. So mm-hmm. if you take a Hong Kong salary, but you have to pay U.S. taxes, there's going to be nothing left in your wow, pocket. Wow, wow, wow. Um, so... He ended up staying with a U.S. company and working remotely for a little bit, but he had to, like, go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I taught French for a little bit at the Australian International School. Mm. Um, and then I was, like, a teaching assistant there, but I was basically teaching because mm. there were, like, four different levels in one classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I became the artist in residence, mm-hmm. one of the artists in residences mm-hmm. sees at the <laughs> the school that I had gone to mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was you know, a private international school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there for almost two years, a year and a half. Mm. And then we, we got married. and In Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Oh, and beautiful. we thought that, that we did some research into like how to get back to the u.s mm-hmm. um and we thought that getting married in hong kong would be faster than me trying to apply for a fiance visa mm-hmm. in the u.s mm-hmm. and this was around the time of like the government shutdown oh, and all yeah. this stuff um it ended up taking a year and a half mm. after we got married and started the visa application process for you to get a marriage visa Yep, to to be able to get here, like to be able to take a plane to the U.S. and not get turned back at the border. <laughs> oh, okay. So you you're saying I just want to make sure I'm un- I'm understanding this. You're saying you got married in Hong Kong because you thought you per your research you're like okay this will be easier or quicker than me first getting a fiance visa and then getting a marriage visa in the U.S. Um, like basically the yeah the fiance visa would allow to us to get into the country and then get married here Mm -hmm. 
but for you know looking at the research it seemed like the fiance visa might take a long time so oh. we thought that it would be faster to get married first and then apply for me to be able to I see but come it to the US. took a year and a half for that to yeah. happen Oof. yeah and oh. I actually like resigned from my job because I was like well it's the end of the school year that makes sense like yep. I don't want to I probably will be going in the fall mm-hmm. and I don't want to go mid school year yeah. so you know I'll, I'll just resign mm-hmm. but then it took another year it wasn't until like the fall after that mm. um that i was finally got my visa mm. um and so i actually was there through most of the umbrella movement in 2014 uh, mm-hmm. um and so saw a lot of what was happening and that was the same time as the black lives matter protests mm-hmm. at that time mm-hmm. and by that time i think in I ferguson w- yeah okay. in ferguson mm-hmm. and um and I was actually seeing a lot of parallels. Huh. Like, uh, Explain to me what you mean. Well, people are out on the streets, you know, trying to get their voices heard. For the most part, when, you know, people are let alone, like the protests are rather peaceful. Mm-hmm. And then the police shows up and uses brute force, riot gear, tear gas, pepper spray. And then it gets, you know, things get violent yep. and the media portrays the po- protesters as violent and and you know the government say like you guys are lawbreakers mm. you're doing illegal Bugs, things hooligans. Mm. yeah and then we're like but we're protesting a legal system that doesn't work for us yep. you know um the the law is not just that's yeah. why we're out here yeah. um so yeah i was seeing like a lot of those connections mm. um between like hong kong and and what was going on in the U.S. Mm, interesting. And you... And what is interesting, too, is that, like, I saw, you know, 2019 going into 2020 coincided with the second wave of Black Lives Matter protests, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, and so I was, again, like, seeing all these connections. I would say that I don't think I really had a deep, deep understanding of Black history mm. and the experience until... I mean, I, I knew about slavery, sure. but like in terms of the just the systemic racism that that happened between the supposed end of slavery to today, mm-hmm. like I didn't really have a, a really good understanding of it until after college. What did you what was it pre-college in your own way? Don't don't censor yourself. What was it pre-college and what how did that change? And what was it post-college? I mean, was it just kind of like a generally amorphous understanding? Yeah, of- it's just like, oh, there was racism mm-hmm. and you know, there was slavery mm-hmm. and then there's racism. But then and and both those things are bad. Yeah, exactly. Bad. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. But I yeah, it, I think it, I think pro- I think the first wave of Black Lives Matter movement led me to really understand like how fucked up the system is and in your words tell us how you understand how fucked up the system is. well the you know the criminal justice system like obviously black people being incarcerated at much higher rates Mm -hmm. you know housing segregation you know um jim crow i didn't really understand what jim crow was Mm -hmm. until later you know Mm -hmm. even after uh you know slavery was abolished i think also um yeah, I, I started like watching more. I think I watched Twelve Years a Slave, and it was just like <laughs> so. The the emotional impact mm-hmm. um, was a lot deeper, um, and then just you know basically 
segregation um in and then into today's just system that is made to to keep black people out mm-hmm. um so i would say that by late 2014 2015 you know i i had a better understanding mm-hmm, at that time mm-hmm. in 20 so i moved to san francisco and we were in like the boston area for mm-hmm. like nine months mm-hmm. and then we got evicted um basically the landlord sold our our apartment mm-hmm. um and we were just like okay what now my husband was hating his job mm-hmm wanted to something different Mm -hmm. we came and visited his brother out here Mm -hmm. and we're like whoa san francisco is so cool so beautiful (laughs) and this naive two of us were like we're gonna move out here because why not like we don't like where we are we got evicted Uh, and we actually got evicted like we we were told by the landlord he was selling the apartment while we were visiting here Mm -hmm. and so we're just like let's just move here and then if like a few months later, his brother's roommate was uh-huh. leaving. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we were like, perfect. Like, we'll move, we're going to move here. You know, there's a, a room open. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll stay here for a few months before we find, you know, mm-hmm. a place of our own. And we never did. Over the past few years, there have been a lot of um, elderly Asians being attacked. Um, oh, wow. And just, you know, Every, it's it ranges from like hate crime to what what can be classified as hate crime expl- explicitly like you know racially motivated mm-hmm. to just you know robberies and mm-hmm. assaults mm-hmm. um but there have been like a, a number of really high profile cases and actually there was just one about a week ago yeah um of just elderly asian getting brutally assaulted mm-hmm. um and so the community feels really unsafe. Mm. And when I brought that up, we got like backlash. We got a lot mm. of backlash. And mm. people were like, oh, you know, uh, we're just going after Chesa. You know, one of the questions the person had was like, you know, what is Chesa doing about it? Who is the district attorney? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, like, you know, his office has its own limitations, yep. but I was like, I think, you know, his office could probably do more to reach out to the Chinese community. And they have been doing a lot mm-hmm. more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I mean, he's only been in office for right. a And they're over going after him. The, the moderates are trying to get him, get him recalled. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was like, you know, you need to do very direct outreach to the community. Mm-hmm. Otherwise that narrative is going to take over. Yeah. But we even got a lot of backlash within progressive saying like we're going after him like oh how much of this is just like people on next door complaining mm-hmm. about like you know car break-ins mm-hmm. and 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 you know uh, home theft. yeah i mean there has been a increase in home home and yeah, in asians because yeah. everybody waiting on another stemmy yeah uh-huh. <laughs> um and and there have been people who have been trying to say Basically, well, you know, there hasn't been an increase in hate crime in the Chinese community. Like, they're basically just overreacting mm. and blah, blah, blah. And, and that's and not helpful. That's really not helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, whether there 
is an increase in hate crime or not, which is in itself is tr- difficult to to quantify, s- quantify because yeah. a lot of these are n- cannot are not being classified as hate crimes because yeah. they're like robberies and assaults and robberies. Um, it's also just not helpful for the com- if you want the community to come along with yeah, you because yeah. they 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 have a legitimate concern. Yeah, you know, right. like these things actually happened, and yeah. you know like 80 something year old grandma being beaten to a pulp and left next to trash cans bleeding right, right. choking in her own blood yeah. is very different from somebody complaining about their packages being stolen right, on right, next right, door right, you know right, like right the magnitude of the situations yeah, are very different yeah and if you let the the god if you let the 80 year old grandmother being beaten thing if you minimize that for long enough then the computer is going to completely shut you out and not listen to anything you have to say because you had nothing to say when we were dying exactly that sounds like a ah, here we go that sounds there are parallels to that in other communities in this country that are not asian communities so i'm trying to generalize as much as you're saying this is you know obviously happening while we're talking about defunding the police and a lot of people in the asian community Uh, are very wary of mm, that because mm. they they feel like you know it's they're not safe but Mm -hmm. the thing is having more police officers isn't gonna necessarily reduce that kind of crime because you're not gonna have a police officer on every single block nobody wants that you know also if you're going to and i don't know if i don't know how this would be done and i don't know if because I'm not as intimately familiar with this community as you, but would it would it not be beneficial to help to do the work of helping them understand that there are there are economic predicates to what is animating their fear around crime? Yeah. You understand what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just want to jump to the easy conclusion. I mean, okay, the pandemic has made things a lot worse for a lot of people. Yeah. But it's only making already existing systemic problems worse. Like these yeah. problems have been around been there. for so long. Yeah. And the reason there's crime here, you know, is like there are communities that have been completely decimated for yep. generations. That's right. And, That's right. you know, a stimulus check is not going to solve the problem. Right, right, right. I mean, and I don't yeah. mean to, I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to restrict the um, the uh, remedy to a stimulus check. I think it the remedy is in a broad, persistent, redistributive economic agenda. Because again, there are I'm a materialist. There are there are economic antecedents to all of the ills and inequities that we experience. And if you are going to reduce or eliminate them, you cannot have people living on their knees. Yep. That's and, so it's yeah. so it's difficult. It's it's that easy and it's that hard. Well, yeah. I mean it's it's kind of it's like duh, that's the society we need to build. But then right. you know how how do, how we, do we get, get there? there? Right, 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 right. Um and and it's you know everything from stopping the incarceration of black and brown bodies yeah. because you we, we have generations of families that have suffered yep. with you know the consequences of incarceration mm-hmm. um it's you know having an education system that actually invests in poor communities of color because mm-hmm. you know we all know that 
rich white neighborhoods get better schools mm-hmm. and poor black and brown neighborhoods get worse schools. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, having stable income for for you know all, our everyone mm-hmm. healthcare for everyone right. you know um having all of these things you right. know that that are you know should be no brainers right. but right. you know we don't and we have been for centuries you know been mm-hmm. um exacerbating these you know yeah. inequities and mm-hmm. so you know how do we fix it now like how do we step by step go to fix it? <laughs> That's, That's know, a big difficult. question. <laughs> and it's not, it's it's a big question, which is why I started this fucking podcast. It's a big question and it doesn't have just one answer. So uh, so so I'm not I'm not I'm not looking for you to like here's here's the PRD <laughs> for rebuilding society. Like, no, that's not how it works. But so what are what are some what are some what could be some of the answers you said community organizing i yes that makes sense um what are some of in in the the coda to the community organizing piece is understanding various communities within the you know geographical community you live in understanding being able to speak to them in in terms that they understand to, about concerns about concerns that they have in order to be able to mobilize them to some, you know, collective action to better those circumstances slash our circumstances. So yes, that makes sense. What are some other ways that people can think about continuing on the, continuing on the work that would push us toward and beyond even a Sanders agenda. Yeah. I mean, for people who are you know, already kind of doing the organizing, I think building coalitions. Um, tell is tell people very... what you mean when you say that. So the left is horribly splintered. We are always arguing with each other. We always um, let disagreements build into bigger bigger disagreements um we argue about methodology you know we argue about like you know you shouldn't be doing this this is the better way of doing things um there are lots of different organizations that focus on different things you know um and we really need to be thinking about how we advocate for things, whether it's electorally or, uh, you know, whether it's a candidate or ballot measure or just, you know, policy or community work that will benefit the in- everyone, the entire community. And we need to make them see the connection. So, for instance, like... Let's talk, you know, say safety, because we talked about that as an example. Like, we need, it's easy to say this, but a lot easier said than done. But we, I think, you know, there needs to be more interaction between the Chinese community and the black community, the Latinx community. Like, right Mm. now, there is a lot Mm. of animosity, uh, especially in San Francisco, um, between... Mm -hmm those communities Mm -hmm. and 
if we're able mm-hmm. to bring these different communities together and explain like this is how the system isn't working for any of us and this is how for any of you <laughs> yeah these things we're all better off you know then uh-huh. then uh-huh. we can get work done because it's like well if we arrest more sure black and brown people we're continuing this broken carceral system that continues to tear families apart that is going to continue crime and that's going to you know continue mm-hmm. exactly and so that's going to redound to no one's you know, benefit and, and mm-hmm. I, it's what needs to be done it's not I don't know have the solution on how to do it and I know organizations that have are starting to do that sure. work um, and I've been you know talking to them more yeah. and want to see like what we can do to help um, but um, I mean, I think it just starts with like creating space for people to listen to each other and hear like what their experiences are. Um, mm. And don't exactly. be so precious about your corner of the left or progressive world. Put your ego down. We're all we're all you know. I was going to say something really inappropriate. We're all trying to work towards something better. Watch yourself, Janelle. Um, so like. Maybe take one concrete step that you can take is like working with people that on paper you think that maybe you don't want to want to not not in a not in like an abusive way like this person you know I I'm gonna you know go befriend you know some proud boys not like that but just like okay I believe I I I want to work towards social housing increasing establishing and expanding social housing in California and this insert the insert the Uh, fill in the blank this group that has that as one of their central foci though i take issue with maybe their name or or who they've endorsed in the past or whatever like i'm gonna throw my hat in with them and work with them along these lines because this is a collective long-term project and i can't be so precious or provincial about you know you know my 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 brand and and especially when you know a lot of okay that's fair that's very common goals we just have different methodology work with different groups and communities and so you know yeah yeah like you said you can't be so precious one thing and i know this is really difficult and i've kind of you know noticed this over the past well years of organizing um so far is I want us to be better at listening to each other and I want us to be better Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. trying to step in other people's shoes because I've seen so much Mm. infighting in the left, within the left, Mm. with each other and just people fighting, people assuming that the other person has bad intentions people canceling you know each other when the when they've done something wrong Mm -hmm. um because we are all like i Mm -hmm. you know you've heard the bernie kratz bylaws but like the reason why i wrote those bylaws is Mm -hmm. that we should be approaching organizing as a constant learning space and yeah yeah and not demanding, perf- not demanding some some amorphous ideal of perfection. Like there is, like even 
there's room for people to be exactly. human and fallible and fuck up and like and to demand perfection or to or to hold someone to this ideal of you know being without sin like that like exactly. that doesn't leave space exactly. for someone so to grow get better course correct other, you know and yeah yeah exactly like yeah. great everybody has and then been what? now you know <laughs> yeah. amputated and like we can't you know like like we're just you know completely destroying each other and and i've seen that on so many different occasions yeah, that's right. and and you know creating space where we can have healthy discussions and be critical of things and be critical of each other without feeling like we're attacking each other you know because there's like on one hand you know we want to be creating a safe space for people where people feel comfortable on the other hand i don't want to be like oh you know no criticism allowed like you know of course you should be able to withstand a little bit of criticism even from people you know that you that you think you are of like mind with like that's not going to kill you and actually it probably will sharpen yep. it, it'll sharpen you yep. so like so like let's calm down with that yeah, exactly so it's on both sides mm-hmm. it's like you know let's tr- enter conversation in good faith be right. respectful for each other yeah. and don't take everything personally like that's right you know. <laughs> that's right don't take everything so personally like and i mean we all have, have our days and you know you know whatever and you, we can end up sliding into that but like not everything is like violence directed towards you sometimes you know sometimes people just are just talking and and they're not they're they, they're, they're not they, thinking they're yeah. not thinking they have they don't have any malicious intent behind or it or they don't know your experience they, they don't right. they don't understand that something is triggering to you because right. they've never experienced what you've that's experienced that's right but that you know? but you don't have to then paint that person to be satan yeah it's like relax mm-hmm. yeah I'm still hollering at the mental images of homegirl in that sleeping bag and being scandalized during Never Had I Ever when she first got to college. (laughs) Poor Claire. Okay, episode two is up tomorrow, where we learn how she made the near seamless transition from artist to organizer. Okay, bye.